0: At Riverbank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life. As the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion, get excited and hop into it. Acts nineteen
1: verse seventeen, and it came to uh, and this became known to all, both Jews and Greek, that dwelt in Ephesus. And the fear came upon them, and the name of the Lord was magnified. There was a demonstration of the power of God um, in the ministry of Paul. And the seven sons of one skiver thought it was free for all and everybody could try it. So, they told the demons, we are joining you in the name of Jesus that Paul preached. Come out! The Bible said they were beaten and they ran out naked from that place. It said it became known to everybody, both Jews and Greek. The demonstration of the power of God and the, listen, and the absence of the power of God in the lives of the sons of Sceva made the message popular. I told you, if there would be a revival, I think I taught this in January, you see the wisdom of God, prophetic teaching, you see the demonstration of the power of God, and you see overwhelming love. It should be your preoccupation to grow in these areas. Prophetic teaching or the wisdom of God, the demonstration of the power of God, and overwhelming love. Now let me keep reading. In verse eighteen, he says, "Many also of them who believed came confessing their sins and declaring their deeds." Now this is Ephesus. It says, "And not a few of them that pra- and not a few of them that practice ma- magic acts, magical acts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the prices of them, and they found." to be 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. This cannot be less than a billion dollars. That was the worth. Do you know what it means to destroy a billion dollars from your economy? They will chase you out of the city. Listen. Listen. Light shines brightest in darkness. You must walk in the power of God. There's direct, there is direct confrontation of demonic powers and demoniacal forces. You must come and listen. Oh, this is so beautiful. You must, what I'm doing for you right now is pay attention. What I'm doing is I'm opening you, opening you up to the possibility before I teach you how to walk in the power of God, you must be open to the possibility. You listen. You must be open to the possibility of confronting demoniacal forces. You must be open to the to the opportunity of you confronting magical powers. You must be open to the opportunity. Listen. It's not when you are faced with it that you get to contemplate. You must have, prior to that time, prepared. Listen, if you're going to run a race, and I used to say this, if it's when they say on your mark that you 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 now want to start your own training, you've lost. You must have finished the work before the battle begins. So the fourth step is, are you open to the possibilities? In your place of work, in your school, When there are people that carry charms. If someone has gone to meet one baba, listen to me. And said, in this school, I want to be the best graduation student. Keep reading. You will not become anything. If someone has said, in this whole area, nobody will be richer than me. And the person is poor. You are in trouble. Keep working hard. There's already a spell, an overarching spell on that area. And so you must be open to the possibility. And that's even personal. Let's go to the spread of the gospel. What do you think? Do you think it was out of necessity it was that the Baba did not have any work to do. That's why he decided to be a Baba Lau and begin to hand over charms to people that come to meet him. It is crafts. It is, it is 9 to 5. This 1 billion passed through his hand. This is how he has sustained himself over the years. This is how he has grown in power. This is how he has protected the entire region. When you come with this gospel, and you tell the people to drop their charms. You are not only affecting them, you are affecting someone's source of income. Let me tell you what you should realize in a location, in a geographical location, there are spirits that rule that location. The initial theme for this month was meant to be Moravian. There's a place called the Moravian Falls. How many of you know about it? Alright. In the Moravian Falls, is a waterfall, obviously. Right? In the Moravian Falls, it was said, historically, that the place was a prayer spot that people prayed. It was chain prayer. People were always praying in that location. And there was, a, there was a non-stop prayer for 100 years in that place. Now we said that even scientists and the people that don't claim to believe in Jesus will go to the Moravian Fall and have encounters with angels. Skeptics he had become the place had become a place where supernatural encounters happen and that's how regions are. That's how regions are. And so you would hear that people would come close to Jesus. They would touch him. The Bible said virtue went out of him. You would hear that people laid their sick so that Peter would pass. And nothing passed. When you studied the Bible carefully, you would realize, especially in the New Testament church, that different regions had different forces overruling them. And so they had different character traits. That were peculiar to the people, and so what it means is when you see a geographical location, there would be rulers, there would be spirits that are governing that area. That's what I've told you before. Effective spread of the gospel is not about exigencies. You can you can you can talk as much as you want, you can know Bible as much as you want, but the Bible tells you that there's a spirit blinds the heart of people so that they will not get what you're saying. So it's no better explanation, as good as that is. I've told you, convincing teaching. But if convincing teaching is all you go with, you'll continue to hit the rock. Because as soon as light breaks up in their spirits, they become part of God's system, part of God's arsenal. To dislodge wickedness in that region, it means that the percentage of dominion of the kingdom of darkness in that region begins to fail. and so what Paul did here was that he absolutely destroyed the work of darkness in the city of Ephesus. but we haven't maintained it as a church over the years. And so when we hear something about like the story of Moravian Falls, we attempted to think he's a lie. It's an exaggerated story because we haven't learned to preserve what God has done in a region. We've not learned to preserve revival. And so you hear that Paul did ministry in Turkey. And the region was taken for Christ. And now the region is an Islamic nation. Where Paul spent his life and did ministry. Spent days praying. Went without food, fasted. We must preserve the culture of revival. We must, we must take darkness away from the region and set a system that preserves it. That was what they were able to successfully do at the Moravian fall. Preserve it. Establish a system that preserves the harvest. That's important. But they are not just going to demon spirits are not just going to walk away because you came. You see somebody that because of a bottle of beer he has decided you will not follow Jesus. If he must drop this beer to follow Jesus, he will not follow. Listen, understand the region where you are. Understand the region. When Paul in Acts seventeen went to um a region where the people what they want what they were interested in was knowledge. So they called him and said. Come and tell us about this new God they're talking about. The Bible said they, oh, they were interested in it. It was their interest. And so for them, is wisdom. You teach. You, see, you give exegesis, You give apologetics. But when you are in Ephesus, you go in power. And so what I'm doing, first of all, is opening your mind to the possibilities that you are able to confront demoniacal forces, you are able to confront herbalists, you are able to confront witches and wizards and listen to me, and you are able to stop the efficiency of their power, you are able to make their power null and void but that's something we will teach in the weeks to come but for now, be open to it be able to see yourself through that lens, praise the Lord Now, in the Wednesday teachings this month, um the teach the, the theme of the month for this month in April for us at Riverbank is I pray more. Sorry, no no no, that's not it. I pray full, say that I pray full. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> full. But in the Wednesday teachings, we'll be teaching on Glossalalia, and that means um, to speak with tongues. Alright? Um but for today what I want to base on um, is just a little of the theological aspect to it would we'll get to more pragmatic ones and would answer more questions of skeptics as we go on. All right. Then pray again, Father. Let your word lighten our paths. We will not walk in darkness. We are believers of your word. In Jesus, mother, in the name of pray. Now open Numbers chapter eleven. Numbers eleven verse twenty-nine. Numbers chapter eleven. Verse 29. Are you there? Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. Thank you Lord. We're going to take time to pray after this teaching. Numbers 11, verse 29. I almost said, Paul said. But Moses replied, are you there? Response, are you there? But Moses replied, read one to go. So, all of you didn't read. Now, everybody read one to go. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And he was saying that he wanted all of God's people to be able to speak by inspired utterance. And he says... And that the Lord will put his Spirit on them. Moses is talking about the Spirit of God being on God's people. And God's people being able to function by the Spirit of God. Doing what only the Spirit of God can get them to do. Praise the Lord. You know the story already. Look at Joel chapter 2. Joel Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Say glory to God. Say God has a plan for my life. He's at work in me. Say this with me. I'm at the center of God's you for my life. Everything He has said to do, I do by His Spirit. Meaning is not by your efforts. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Meaning that everything he wants you to do, you would find out you did. It's so powerful. This is a powerful revelation and you have to catch it. Many times we think that, and this is so important, we think that we won't be able to do what God wants us to do because we will not do, we will not, you know, the demands for the fulfillment of prophecy. We feel like I will not be able to fast as much as I need to. I might not be able to pray as much as I need to. But he says he's the one at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Meaning, what I want you to do, I will give you the desire and I will do it through you. So that you will be at the center of his will, not because you did it by your efforts, because nothing that comes as a product of man's efforts will glitter in God's presence. He says, for everyone that will glory will glory in the Lord. And so Paul will say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And grace was not given in vain. He says, I labor. But how do he, how did he labor? How did he have the willingness to labor? He says, I'll put my spirit within you. He will cause you to walk according to my status. And so what you must do is take your eyes off your ability to do what he wants you to do. Stop preoccupying yourself with what you're not doing. And start depending on the spirits. What you need to do is this. Listen to me. You must see prophecy fulfilled in your life even before you lift a finger. Joshua said we are able to take the land. He has not left where he was talking. The people he was talking to did eventually get there with him. He wasn't depending on how prepared he was. He wasn't depending on statistics. He wasn't depending on his history. He wasn't even saying we have won previous battles. He said if the Lord wills, he will take us in. And so you say, if the Lord will, I will take the city. It's not about the number of people, Joshua. It's that if the Lord wills, He's gonna take me there. And so that must be your preoccupation. If the Lord wills. And it's not the careless if the Lord wills that people say these days. "Ah, If God wants me to be rich, I'll be rich. If God wants the gospel to spread, spread. No, 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 no. Joshua was in faith. So you must believe in what God wants to do. You must accept. You know that's what faith is. You accept the reality of the unseen. You accept that the unseen is a reality already. Thank you Lord Jesus. Now, Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29. Oh, thank you Lord. Joel two twenty-eight and 29. Are you there? Alright, read one to go. Read one to go. I'm observing that some of you are not reading. So everyone read one to go. After this, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh, yeah? Glory to God. Now, Joel begins to prophesy again. He says, and afterward, I will pour my spirit on all people. He didn't say only on the pastor. He didn't say only on the men. He says, I will pour my spirit upon all people. He didn't say only on the elderly people. And so, listen to me. As the church begins to grow and as we have the children's church don't think that the spirit of God in main church is different from the spirit of God in, main, in children's church. Children's church can prophesy the move of God. Children's church can deliver people from demon spirits. Children's church can confront demoniacal forces. Babalao is not only adult church. It's the same power. Don't think those children don't have the power of God. Don't think you have to be part of the leadership of the church. He says, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. He says, your sons and your daughters. And so, if you have younger ones that you are mentoring in the Lord, this is the mindset you must plant in them. If the Baba has been doing these evil acts, for 50 years. And you are only 7. You can stop. Listen. This is what you should realize. That the harpalist has no power of his own. Do you understand? He depends on his supernatural force. To do the things he is doing. You can stop that supernatural force from operating. And he becomes. He's, he's, he's a man like every other man. And so, if you are in children's church and you have the Spirit of God, you can stop the oppression. And the man will try and nothing will work. Glory to God. But what we see is, from the Old Testament, not many people function by the Spirit of God. Not many people could prophesy. And so, when they caught some people prophesying, they said, Ah, we went to report to Moses. Moses said, It is my desire. Not all of God will prophesy and his spirit beyond them. And it wasn't just the wish of Moses. Joel prophesied it. Alright? So move forward. Afterwards, John chapter 1, verse 33. John 1 33. If you're there, I want you to read. John 1.33, who is there? Please give her the mic. I want you, I want you to read that as loud as you can. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Now, this is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. It's very beautiful for many reasons. Now, remember what Moses said. I want God's people to prophesy. And I want the Spirit of God to be on them. You know, that's what he said. Two things. I want God's people to prophesy. And I God's Spirit to be on them. Then, Jewel prophesies and say that um, I'll pour my Spirit upon all flesh. Alright? And then, they'll prophesy. Now, John, look at what John the Baptist says. He said, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize in water said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come upon and remain, he said, it is him that will baptize with the Spirit. It is him that would send the Spirit. Now look at Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Jesus corroborates this. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Are you there? I'm going to read now. For John baptized with water. Now Jesus was speaking here. And then he says exactly what John said. Saying that he has fulfilled the prophecy that Moses began to say, Joel continues to say, John continues to prophesy, he said he's been fulfilled. He says, For John baptized with water, he says, But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Spirit. Glory to God. Meaning, Oh, this is beautiful. Huh. Before I go ahead, let me show you what happens when the Spirit of God comes on someone. Now, first of all, it was a very remarkable act in the Old Testament. They saw people prophesying, they were like, oh my God. It was, listen, listen, and this is beautiful. This is so beautiful, but we don't know it. Listen to me. Anytime someone was functioning by a spiritual gift in the Old Testament, that people didn't expect to function the gift, it was always something they talked about. And so, these people, in the days of Moses, were prophesying. You see, ah, Moses, look at these people, they are prophesying. They are not even with us. Moses said, I wish that all Gods would prophesy. Praise the Lord. They saw the king of, the, that later became the king of the Israelites. um some pro- prophesied over him that you'll go and see some people prophesying, enjoy them, to prophesy. When he began to prophesy, they were like, ah. He saw now one of the prophets. Why is he prophesying? The same thing happened to Jesus. They said, but this guy is a normal guy. How is he that he's able to do these things? Now, here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. They might not see the cloud. They might not see the rain. But the valley will be filled with water. They would see you as a normal guy. It's not this person that works here. This person that lives here. This person that this is. But that person that has been causing trouble in the area will now begin to complain huh, that your prayer in your room is disturbing his operation in another corner of the same street. That he's not able to do anything again because you are there. And then they're like, "You? We didn't see you as anybody. You're a normal guy in this area now." That's what I'm saying. And so they saw Peter and James and John as normal guys. But when that lean man has the beautiful gates, when he stood up, they were surprised. Peter had to say, Calm down. You know when the surprise, he shocked you so much. The people have not caught themselves, you have to help them catch themselves. He said, Why are you amazed? And then he explained. He says, It's not by my power, it's not by my righteousness. He said, God has glorified His Son. That's same Jesus sent the Spirit. But He did send the Spirit for something. To amaze people. It's called wonder. I told you, there are signs that make people wonder. And so listen to me. In your life, you must begin to seek to do signs that make people wonder. Because we have seen in the Bible that when people function by those gifts, people began to wonder. People began to talk about them. What it means is this. You must be ready to do audacious things. You, you just decide, in this area, I'm going to stop the work of darkness. In my tribe, our tribes are regional. In our tribe, the works of darkness will stop. The works of darkness will stop. Because their primary assignment is to partner with the devil, that the hearts of people will not be open to the gospel. It can be by deceit. It can be by fear. It can be by distraction. This is what revival is. You declare that the heart of people are open to the gospel. They are hungry. They want it. So when he shows up, they are like, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. So you must be open to that possibility. Praise the Lord. So we see that Jesus was the one that shed um, shed forth the Spirit of God. And let's look at some things that happened in the life of Jesus when the Spirit of God came upon him. To give us an appetite. Do you understand? To help us redefine what the norm should be. There's a tendency to think, oh, I function by spiritual gifts and I'm fine. Or at least, or lie to yourself that they've not brought the dead to me. That's why I've not raised the dead. It's not true. It's not true. If you are neighbor and you are in a distant land, if there's a prophet in the land that does something, he will locate you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you carry the thing, people will come and look for you. What it means is that as a church, we are not carrying and demonstrating what we should demonstrate if the world will pay attention. If you do what you are meant to, listen, if you, first of all, first of all, when you stop, act, when you decide to stop the work of darkness in your region as a tribe, for example, you would realize automatically your tribe would grow. Your tribe would grow. Your tribe would grow, because people respond to spiritual elements. They just don't know. They just don't know. People are influences of spirits. They just don't know. Ephesians chapter two explains it. He said, you were influenced by the Spirit that is at work in children of disobedience. But what is revival? It's that people are no more, that influence is no more strong. And so, even if the person is an unbeliever, he's open to the gospel. He hears the same message you've been preaching for years, and then finally pays attention. The person finally comes and says, let me hear what you people teach in your church. You think it's just, the person was tired of going around They might give an excuse for why they are doing the, what they did. But there is a force. There is a force that causes that influence. It would not happen without you paying attention. You would decide to do it. This was what the early church said. They said, listen, we would give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the world. And so the influence kept growing. What it invariably means is that they knew if they did not do it The influence would not grow So it wasn't It wasn't an activity they did It was that they knew That the growth of the word The prevalence of the word Was a product of prayer This is why Paul for example With all the revelation was still pray. Ephesian Church, I'm praying for you. Colossian Church, I'm praying for you. All the churches, I'm praying for you. Galatian Church, I'm in bed pains again. Colossian Church, he says, Epaphras hey, is one of you. He says, always wrestling for you in prayer. And I will teach you how to wrestle in the weeks to come. But realize that there was a deliberate attempt at winning a battle in the lives of people. That's what Jesus did for Peter. And so, question would now be: Have you been wrestling for people? Now, when Jesus was done wrestling for Peter, he knew the outcome. So, do you know the outcome of this person's life? Do you know what the word of God will do in this person's life? Meaning, if I'm praying for you, for example, and there's a demonic spirit responsible for your negligence, for your um, laziness, when I'm done wrestling, I will know I am done wrestling. I will know you would respond to the word. I will know it's a good time to tell you this. And now, when I tell you this, you would be open. It will now look as if, oh, it's because I didn't come to talk to you before, that's why you didn't respond. That's not what happened. It was that there was an influence. I took it off. You were willing. And I would now know the right things to say to you. Now, if you haven't done that for your region, you would just be talking. In your spirit, you must be able to discern progress. In your spirit, you must be able to discern victory. And so they said, We would not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer to serve tables. So how much victory have you won? This is what you preoccupy yourself with in terms of prayer. This is why we have jail prayer, for example, in church. So you have enough time if you haven't been doing it personally. You must be, you must be able to mark victory. You must be able to mark victory. You must, if you're not marking victory, you're not, see, listen. I heard a story about a group of people that wanted to go and preach, minister somewhere in a particular, I think in a particular nation. And they told them, listen, they will not even listen to you. If anything, if you come back alive, then that's the testimony. That you actually, came. not that you got the opportunity to preach, but I came back alive. Now these people decided to pray. And in the place of prayer, they kept marking victory. Now some of us don't know this thing, and so all we do is and we are praying for the spread of the word, we are doing this, we are doing this, we are doing this. As long as, for you, prayer is an activity, and prayer is not talking to God, prayer is not enforcing the will of God, prayer is not creating a new reality, prayer is not making sure that a particular region has a different influence, you will just be praying that careful is But like Jesus, you must be able to say that I have prayed for you, that your faith fails, your faith fails not, why is he going to fail? Because the devil seeks to sift you. So, I must be able to descend the walk of darkness in the person's life and create a new reality. Then I can speak to the person. This is very important. This is very important. And that's an aspect of what we're learning about speaking in tongues. Because when you speak in tongues, and this is what many people don't know, and this is the ending part of my sermon, is this. The Bible says, when you pray in tongues, your mind will be unfruitful, right? Yes, your mind will be unfruitful. Let's go there. So I'm gonna skip and do my sermon on the way <laughs> it just flows. Um First Corinthians chapter fourteen. First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Ooh, 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 ooh. Are you there? Now verse fourteen says, Are you there? Everyone's gonna to read together, so we'll go read. We want to go? He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, here's what he's saying. Now, listen to me. He's saying that when you're praying in tongues, listen. This is what I was talking about. When you're praying in tongues, he already said in the earlier part, when I pray in in tongues, he says, my spirit is praying. Now, this is where you get discernment. This is where you get to know what's happening. Now, some people don't know what is happening. And so they are doing guesswork. You don't do that in spiritual warfare. For example, let's say you are trying to cast out a demon. You have to be discerning to know what you are doing. Do you get what I am saying? You look at person and say, That's gone. No, that's not gone. No, you have it from your spirit. Meaning, if I am going to pray over a region, and all I am saying is, I am praying what I know, I am not discerning to know what is happening, it's trouble. So if Jesus is praying for Peter, and doesn't discern that this is what the devil is doing, and then able to stop the work of the devil, she will just be praying what he thinks. But now, when you pray in tongues, your mind is unfruitful. Meaning, you're not just you're not praying what's in your mind, what is pre-programmed, or just what you've learned, what you know, or what you think. That's not what you're praying. What you're doing when you pray in tongues is this: your spirit is talking to God. Now. What many of us do is this. He says, your mind is unfruitful. Right? Not that you are praying absent-mindedly. And that's what many of us do. It means that you are praying in tongues, but you are thinking of every other thing in the world. Now, listen. When you are praying in tongues, you are talking to God. It means you are not talking to demon spirits. Because they are not your God. So, when you talk to God, and with Samuel, I'll talk to my people, he gives you, and that's discernment, then you get to know what's happening in the situation. When you know what's happening in the situation, that's when you go into legislation, you begin to decree. You say to this mountain, be that removed and be that cast into the sea. But if the mountain is not physical, and you do not know the mountain is there, as you talk to God, he tells you the reason why they are not listening to you is because there's a mountain between you and them. Now, you don't tell him to remove the mountain. He put the power in you. So, when you talk to him, your mind is unfruitful, but then he drops it in your spirit. There's a mountain in between you guys. It's at that point that you now legislate. You now tell the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now, he can drop it in your spirit, but if you are praying absent-minded, it means your mind is thinking somewhere else. Your mind doesn't receive that information, even if it's in your spirit. But your mind has to receive the information for you to know what to do. Do you get what I'm saying? And so the information can be in your spirit, but it's not in your mind. Now if it's not in your mind, you can't say what you do not know. You can't legislate. And so it's in your spirit, but the mountain is going to be there. And so you will leave the place of prayer and it will look as if your prayer was fruitless. The reason is because although... While praying in tongues, your mind is meant to be unfruitful. You are not meant to pray absent-mindedly. You are meant to be able to receive the signals and then make declarations. And then that's when you tell the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea." And so the challenge is that many of us pray in tongues absent-mindedly. And so we are not discerning. So we say, you need to mark victories. Now you've told the mountain to go. That's a victory. With discernment, you know it has gone. With proper understanding, you are able to take it away. But there might be multiple layers of challenges in the place. In fact, you might be in that place talking to God. He tells you the right time to go and what to say. Do you understand? So, this, these are the underlying things in praying in tongues. That some of us don't understand. You just pray and go. That's not sufficient. Now, we said, when the Spirit of God came on Jesus, (laughs) what did He do? Luke chapter 4. Did we read Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Luke 4, 14. Now, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So, the Spirit of God had come upon Him. He had gone to wilderness His back. He says, the news about Him spread throughout the countryside. Now, notice, first thing, publicity. Is what I told you. Once the Spirit of God is operational in the life of someone, now listen, as I'm teaching you this thing, don't use your experience to judge it. Because if you use your experience, you realize that your experience is not consistent with this thing. What will happen is you would limit your mind. And so your experience would now be only to the limits that your mind has placed. But it's a year of more, you we have to do more. Alright? So what you want to learn is what the Bible says would happen. Then your experiences were aligned, And I'll show you, that's what the apostles did. They saw the experience of Jesus when he received the Spirit. They knew what happened when he received the Spirit. And so, when they received the Spirit, there was already an expectation. And so, they were not surprised when they began to do mighty things. What they did was that they did what he did to sustain the flow and to increase the influence. But one thing is consistent all through the Bible. When the Spirit of God came upon someone, an ordinary person, influence was the next thing. Fame and publicity was the next thing. Whether it's the people who read with Moses or Saul that became king, do you understand? Or Jesus or the apostles. Once the Spirit came, they did things, there was fame. And so the Bible says, his fame spread throughout the whole land. He said, he was teaching in the synagogues, this is the next thing, all trans, or trans. So, we see fame, we see utterance, we see power. Alright? Utterance. Same thing with the people of Moses, it was utterance. Same thing with Saul, it was utterance. Jesus, you soon see utterance. The apostles, you soon see utterance. So, he began to teach in the synagogue, this revelation, this utterance. He went throughout Nazareth, oh thank you Lord, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath, as it was his custom, and he stood up and read, and the scroll was of the prophet Isaiah, it was handed to him, and... Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of God is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news unto the poor and to proclaim at to proclaim freedom from prisoners and recovery of sight from the blind and to set your press free and proclaim the acceptability of the Lord. Here's something also that happens immediately: supernatural coincidences. Always happens. Always happens. Always happens. So this is why, now let me tell you, this is why, when you're prophesying, for example, you when you're prophesying, um, prophecy that defies the church. Do you understand? Not just um, for individuals. You might start from where you do not know. You might start by telling them something, 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 something. Then later in the prophecy, you say something that connects. You now see how everything connects. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Thank you. You begin to so you started by saying this. Maybe you start by saying, praise him, praise him, praise him. And then you talk about different random things. And then you say, the victory has been won. And that is why we should praise him. You didn't know that when you were saying that. Supernatural coincidences. So, there would be supernatural coincidences. That the people, that the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost. That the people came in. All of those things, do you get, were important for the spread of the gospel. How about if Peter healed the man at the gate and nobody was there? For some weird reason, everybody was at the different parts of the town. Something happened and everybody moved to that part of the town. And Peter healed the lame man at the beautiful gate. Nothing would happen. Nobody would know. But there will be supernatural coincidences. And you have to pay attention to this. Do you get what I'm saying? Because like you already know, you are at the center of God's will for your life. Everything adjusts itself to accommodate fulfillment of prophecy in your life. Do you get what I'm saying? What it means is this. It means that if from discernment, he says, hold a meeting in a region, the money might not be there, things might look like they will not go as right, but if he has said it's supernatural coincidences, everything will adjust itself to accommodate fulfillment of prophecy, but you have to make the move. Do you get what I'm saying? Alright, so, um, oh thank you Lord. When he rolled up, he gave it back to the attendants, And the eyes of everyone was upon him, was fastened upon him. And it says, today is this scripture fulfilled before your eyes. It says, and all spoke well of him. And we are amazed at his gracious word that came out of his lips. And some said, is this not the son of Joseph? So we see all trance. We see power. We see amazing things. We see supernatural coincidences when the Holy Ghost came. Now look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 14. Oh, thank you, Lord. Then Peter stood up with the level. Now, this is day of Pentecost. And raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He says, fellow men and all that live in Judea, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. And then we see all trans. We see all trans. We see him quoting scriptures. We see him explaining it. We see all trans. What we also see is that when he preached to the people, they responded. They were open. They said, what should we do? Do you get what I'm saying? So, all of this is the progression. Do you understand so, you must have that expectation. You must understand that the victory has won. And I'm going to explain all of this in the weeks to come. The victory has won, but you must be able to war with the victory that has been won. Then you have supernatural coincidences. When you take the step it says to take, then you have all trans, then you get results. That's how the harvest happens. So Jesus said, "He did all he did by the Spirit." Let's look at Matthew chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty-eight. Matthew twelve twenty-eight. He says, "And if by the Spirit of God." That I drive out demons. He says the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he said that all the amazing thing he did, he did because he has the spirit of God. What it means is this. If you have the spirit of God, you should have a world view. I'm able to do this. I'm able to do this. I'm able to preach the gospel and a thousand people are saved. I'm able to raise the dead. I'm able to do this right now because I have the spirit of God. My reason must always be because I have the spirit of God. Why can I at this moment prophesy because I have the Spirit of God. If you have learnt that and mastered that, you must also be able to understand, master other things. So, why can I speak in tongues right now? Because I have the Spirit of God. I'm not going to think it's difficult. I'm not going to think it's not going to work. I've learned and mastered it. That I can speak in tongues because I have the Holy Ghost. Then, can I prophesy now? Yes, I can. Why? Because I have the Holy Ghost. What do I do? I tune into Him. I'm able to prophesy. The same thing with healing. I can heal the sick because I have the Holy Ghost. Now, you have to reorient yourself. I'm able to stop the activities of demoniacal forces because I have the Holy Ghost. You have to rearrange yourself. So you have mastered it for tongues, you've mastered it for prophecy. You have to master it for healing. You have to master it for um miracles. Why? Because when you read first Corinthians chapter twelve, and let's read it again. First Corinthians chapter twelve from verse um, five. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. Are you there? Now it says there are different there, there are differences in administration by the same Lord, there are different operations by the same God that works all in all. It says, both the manifestation of the spirit is given to everyone to profit with all. Now we're going to get into tongues very shortly. But he says, for to one is given by the spirit a word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit. Meaning, if he says to do something audacious, I'm able to do it. I'm able to believe it will work because of his spirit. I'm not going to think that ah, I'm not sure I can do this thing. That faith to believe that I can do it is by the spirit. It's an operation of the spirit. This is what you got. I told you that Spiritual growth is growth of the influence of the Spirit in your life. Not that you are now Jagaban, but that He has increased His his influence in your life has increased. So, it means that when He says you should do something audacious, you're not going to say we are not able. The reason why you you are able to say you are able is because of the influence of the Spirit. Faith, by the same Spirit, He says to another, the gift of healing, by the same Spirit. I'm able to heal the sick, not because I'm prepared. But because by the walking of the Spirit, when I lay my hands on the sick, their body responds to the health. It's the work of the Spirit. If he says I should speak to them and say be healed, when I speak to them and say be healed, his operation is such that their body responds to the health. It's by the same Spirit. When I want to work a Miracle, say someone has a limb that is short, and he says I should lay my hands on a particular place, I'm not going to be thinking will he work or will he not work?" I partner with him to do what he wants to do. When I lay my hands, and then I do what he says, that place is going to grow. It is operation. He's doing something. I partner with him, but he's the doer, by the same spirit. All right. Now, verse ten: to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another div- descending of spirits, to another diverse kind of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Just all these worker one and self same spirits. So the reason why I'm able to do it is because there's the operation of the Spirit in my life and I partner with Him and I produce the result of the Spirit. So Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit, He said, the kingdom of God is upon you. So Jesus said He's able to do it by the Spirit of God. Now look at Acts chapter 1 from verse 4 and verse 5. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and verse 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Now, this is one thing you should realize, and I taught this in the next move of God is that listen, the Holy Spirit is the promise of God. Is this God's will is that none should perish, right? Good. And so what do we save all of mankind, He's been working on it from the beginning of time, right? Good. His agency for fulfilling His plan is the Spirit. You see that? His agency for fulfilling His plan is the Spirit. And so, um, what He does is this. He says, There's darkness in the heart of man. I'm going to command life to shine out of it. What it means is that the kingdom of darkness is within us. He's going to bring His kingdom out from within us. His kingdom will dwell in us. Darkness will be expelled. Clear, And by the same Spirit that he has given to us that expel darkness, he's going to walk in us to expel darkness from other people. So it's about the work of the Spirit. So what it means is this. What you are doing in time is God's plan from the creation of the world. The same power that you are about to demonstrate to heal the sick is the same power he has been using for his plan. His the same power he used to watch all the mighty revivals. His the same power he used in the life of Jesus, in the life of the early church. The power has not grown dim. It should build your faith. Do you understand? And so, then he now went on to say, He said, you received the promise of the Father. He said, John baptized with water. He says, but not many days from this you will be baptized with the Spirit. When the Spirit of God came, Peter realized that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy. In Acts chapter two from verse sixteen. Let's go there. Acts chapter two, verse sixteen. Now, like I said, initially this was meant to be a theological teaching. Alright, so this is why we'll begin to open a lot of scriptures. He says, Brethren, this scripture must need have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost in the mouth of David have um spoke concerning Judas. Alright. And so he said that Judas had to um his ministry had to be given to another one. Did you understand? And then, he begins to explain other things. He went down to also explain. Okay, no, this is not. It's in the next verse, chapter he explained about um, about, um, the prophet Joel. I oh, was Acts chapter 1, right? Acts chapter 2, from verse 16. Good. This is what I was saying. Joel, verse 16. But this is what was spoken by Joel, Prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall dream, see vision, your old men shall dream dreams. He says, upon your maiden servants and your hands, I will pour my spirit to do this and they shall prophesy. So we see that visions, dreams, prophecies was the work of the spirit and this was what was prophesied. What I want you to see is this, that what you're doing in time right now it's not isolated from God's grand plan. And so it's not that ah, I'm going to fail and not look like I'm successful in ministry. I'm not being able to do what we're able to do. We're not able to achieve our goal. That's not what it is. It's God's grand plan and won't fail. You can only exclude yourself. That's what the children of Israel didn't know when they were coming out of Egypt. They were looking at the Egyptians. They were looking at themselves. That's not what it's about. It's that God had a plan that he promised Abraham. It has nothing to do with you. If he's taking the cities, because he has a plan. And so, don't look at yourself. You must look at it that God has a prophecy that the city will be taken. And so, although you are in time trying to carry out that prophecy, his spirit is what is going to achieve it. Do you get And so, what you want to do is believe that what his spirit has said he will do, his spirit will do. It's a reality in the spirit. You must accept it as your reality in time. So, when he says it's a reality in his spirit, Alright, and so you must accept it. That's what faith is calling the things um evidence of things not seen. Alright, you must believe that it is your reality. So this is what um Peter was doing also. There's been a prophecy, Moses said it, Joel said it, but he believed that it was his reality. Do you see that? You must also believe that it's your reality. If he says is his will that none should perish, you must take it as your prophecy that none perishes around you. And so, everything that needs to happen for that to happen is available for you. That's how you believe in him. That's how you believe in him. Now, remember that that's the same thing that Joshua, I told you, took to battle. So, when the, if he had to stop the son, he could stop the son with confidence, knowing that he's at the center of God's will for his life. Why? The prophecy is that the battle will be won. So, if there's a need for miraculous provision, if there's a need for miracles to happen, if there's a need for utterance, if there's a need for revelation, if there's a need for strength to go through prayer, boldness, signs, wonders is going to happen because it's planned plan that everything that the city is taking. And so, whatever needs to happen is my reality. I accept that it is my reality. I accept that the sick will be healed. I accept that the dead will be raised. I accept that the gospel will be preached with so much precision, with so much insight. I accept that the hearts of people will be willing. It's my reality. It's my experience. That demoniacal forces in my region become null and void so that the gospel can gain fodder. I accept it as my reality before I go into warfare to pray. Do you get what I'm saying? Alright, good. So Peter accepted that that prophecy was his. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth and blood and fire and smoke and the sun shall turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and acceptable day of the Lord. He says, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've explained what call upon the name of the Lord means already. Small, small, we're explaining the entire Bible. <laughs> we explain call upon the name of the Lord in the conference, right? Alright. So, like I said, it was an introduction. All of these would be complimentary teachings. Now, Peter also believed, just like Jesus, that the signs and miracles he did were not because he was righteous, but because he had the Spirit. Second, when um, We read Acts chapter 13. That's what he said. Alright. Acts chapter 13. I think we should read it, just because it's important that we have this mindset. It's because I have the Spirit that I'm able to do these things. When Peter saw it in Acts chapter thirteen verse twelve, he answered the people, "Men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Accept—I'm saying it again because I've said it many times—accept as your reality what you want God to do." Um, Abraham said, "God is able to raise the child again, so you must accept that reality. Why or why ye look at us earnestly as though by holiness or by power we've made this man walk?" Verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, who has promised all these things, have fulfilled in his son, whom you delivered and denied and caused to be killed. Right? Verse 14. But you denied the holy one. Verse 15, you killed the prince of life. God has raised him by witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And faith which is by him has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And so he says "It's the God of Abraham. So he didn't, when Peter was good, he said he has fulfilled this thing. He didn't take it as, oh, me, myself, my experiences, my abilities. It's not, I've told you, this is not a business. It's not SWOT analysis. It's not about strength and weakness. Opportunities and threats. That's not what it's about. He it says the God of Abraham has fulfilled what he said he would do. That's how you look at it. God has a grand plan. And in this time, this is what he wants to do. His spirit has been fulfilling it. It has been a reality. Everything has been a reality in his spirit, and he has fulfilled some in different times in the past. He, it's the reality that, to my experience, is fulfilled right now. All right. So I think I've educated you on that um, adequately. Let me answer maybe one or two questions and see um, what we can do. Let me explain tongues, which is what we, we we came here to do. All right. Now write this down. Speaking in tongues, I adopted this definition by the way. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker or the listeners. Speaking in tongues is prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker or the listeners. Now, I have to defend this definition. Alright. So I'm going to defend this definition and I think I would have answered many questions. Number one, I said, is spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. Alright. So I'm going to talk about, um, who speaks. I'm going to talk about the fact that the, listen, the listener the speaker doesn't understand. I'm also going to talk about the fact that the listeners don't understand. Do you understand? So we said, who speaks? Alright? Then we'll talk about the listeners. The speaker not understanding. Then the listeners not understanding. But I'll start with who, um, the speaker not understanding. Look at First Corinthians chapter 14. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because we're trying to understand what tongues is. Alright? First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Now, obviously, um, all of this is because from Acts chapter two, when they began to speak with tongues, the people that came in said, "We hear them speaking our language." You understand the wonderful things of God. You know that already, right? Good. And so, some people said that tongues should be you speaking somebody's language, because the people said we can hear them speaking our language, we can hear them speaking Igbo, we can hear them speaking other language is there. Hausa, We can hear them speaking French. We can hear them speaking Igala language. I can hear them speaking. What's the language? Calabar? Sound like a liar. <laughs> Do you understand? So, people say tongues should be in other people's languages. Alright? But, now let's look at first Corinthians 14 and verse 2. It says, for anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. So, he says, no one understands. Understands them. So he begins to describe what tongues is. He said, The reason why you're not speaking to people is because nobody understands you. Nobody understands you. Now, some people say you speak in tongues to confuse the devil. That's also a joke. He said, Cast out devils. You don't need to confuse him. If he he should be praying to be confused, say, I didn't know you were chasing me away. Because he says, Cast him out. So why am I I trying to confuse him? When I speak, right, heaven endorses what I say. The earth adjusts itself to accommodate what I say, and hell has a mandate to do what I say. So there's no confusion there. He doesn't need to be. If I'm talking to God and I say supply, God endorses. When we ask, God gives. The earth adjusts itself to accommodate what I'm saying. We're going to learn this in the days to come, also. Alright, the earth adjusts itself to accommodate it, what you say. Then hell has a mandate. The is no negotiation. Jones, I give you a mouth and you your adversary cannot get serious. They have to obey what you say. So I don't, it's not, it's not an attempt to confuse the devil. It's not. It's not an attempt to confuse the devil. But here's it. He says, no one understands you. What it means is invariably, that it can't be anybody's language because Paul did not give a condition to this. It means if everybody in the world stood in front of you and you're speaking in tongues, Paul says, no one understands you. Now, if no one understands you when you speak in tongues and the whole world is standing in front of you, invariably it means it's not in anybody's language. Now, it also even means that we need to study Acts chapter 2 again. Because he says, no one understands you. He says, you're not speaking to people because... Nobody can understand what you're saying. You get for anyone who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people but to God. He says, indeed, no one understands them. He says they utter mysteries by the spirit. Let me read from the KJV. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue talk, tongues, speaks not to men. He's not speaking to men. He says, but to God, for or because no one understandeth him, howbeit he speaks mysteries in the spirit. So we're going to have to understand or interpret Acts chapter 2. But it's clear from this place that nobody understands you when you speak in tongues. So first of all, when you speak in tongues, they are not speaking someone else's language. At least now that's not what the Bible teaches us. Now look at verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where you are. And read it one to go. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupied the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou say. Now, Paul is speaking here and said, when you come and you want to bless people, and you do that in tongues, he says, how can he that is sitting, sit on the unlearned, say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, seeing that he doesn't understand? So, obviously, Speaking in tongues is not speaking in someone else's language. Do you understand? It's not speaking in someone else's language. Let's go further. Now, verse twenty-three: If therefore the whole church come together into one place, take notice if the whole church comes together into one place, and all speak with tongues. And they come in those that are unlearned. This almost sounds like he's describing Acts chapter 2. The whole church comes together, all speaking tongues, then they come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that thou art mad? Now obviously in Acts chapter 2, they didn't say they are mad, they said they are drunk. Do you understand? So, but oh, his reason is this, because they don't understand. Now, he's not even saying other believers understand. He's saying something different. He's saying something different. What he's saying is is a fulfillment of the prophecy um, that Isaiah gave in Isaiah chapter 23, 28, verse 18 and verse 11 and 12, when he says, with stammering leaves and other songs, I'll speak to my people. So here's what happened. Israel was in rebellion. God has spoken to them, which is his usual fashion. He sends prophets to speak to them. But they'd not they will not listen. So what he decided to do is he said, The next time I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to speak with I'm going to send people that you don't understand their language to come and talk to you. That's what I'm going to do. Kind of like what he did when he did that many, many fair crossing Johnson. Although even that could be interpreted, triggered. But this time he told them with um foreign languages I would speak to you. Alright. And so when it was fulfilled they would know they're in trouble. Now, here's what he's doing here. This verse means two things. Alright? It means something and it has an implication. Number one, it means the whole church comes together. The whole church is speaking in tongues. When the unlearned and the unbeliever comes in, they know that um, these people seem to be doing something that they obviously don't understand. The reason why they think you are mad is because they know that logically this thing doesn't make sense to them. Do you understand but I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about believers. I want to talk about believers. On that, I will explain their aspect to you. But here is it. Now, he said obviously next verse that you have to prophesy for those that are coming in to know what you are saying, right? What it means is this: that, like I was saying, your mind might be fruit might not be fruitful, but you can't be absent-minded. It means that you must be able to speak in tongues, and although your mind doesn't know, you must be able to get interpretation. Your mind must be able to get it and tell them. Do you get what I'm saying? Good. It means that, number one, the speaker doesn't know what he's saying. And also the listeners don't know what the speaker is saying. And he also explains that it's only when the speaker allows his mind to get it, and he explains it to the listeners, that the listeners know what he's saying. That simply explains what Acts chapter 2 is. That they spoke in tongues. Obviously their mind did not understand. But they were able to speak in a language that other people understood. Meaning they interpreted what they, they were saying in tongues. Alright? And that's prophecy, by the way. Jensen. And so when you go back to Acts chapter 2, that we should go to right now, Acts chapter 2, you see that in Peter's defense, all he focused on was prophecy. Peter standing up with 11 in verse 14, now in verse 12, they were amazed and were in doubt Saying what does this mean. Others were mocking, said they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the 11, and lifted up his voice and said, Men of Israel and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my word. For these are not drunken as you suppose; supposing. It's only the third hour of the day. I meaning it's 9 a.m. He says, but this was what was spoken by the prophet. In the last day, I'll pour my spirit upon all of Your sons and your daughters shall do what? Prophesy. Alright? So, he didn't even use stammering lips here. He said prophecy. So, he is saying, we've received the spirit. What we are doing is prophecy. Do you get what I'm saying? We receive the spirit, all we are doing is prophecy. He says, Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see the vision, your old men shall dream dreams. Upon your maidens and um handmaidens, your servants and handmaidens, I'll pour my spirit, and they shall do what? Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Open Joel chapter. I want you to. I hope you trust me. Open Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Is it 28? 28 and 29, right? I'm going to show you something that Peter did here. Now, we're going to read together. Alright? We're going to read together. And I'm going to read. So, I'll be reading Acts 2. You would read Joel 2, 28. Are you ready? Are you ready? Alright, let's read 1 to go. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your servants and your maidens, I'll pour out my spirit in that day, and they shall prophesy. Is that what, is that how yours end? What does it end? How does it end? And on your servants and, does it say that part? Alright, let's read that. And on your servant and your handmaid, I'll pour out my spirit that day, and they shall prophesy. So you see that Peter adds this, and they shall prophesy. Joel doesn't say it. From beginning to end, he quotes Joel's prophecy, and adds, and they shall prophesy. Meaning, after he reads the prophecy, he interprets it, and says, this is what it means, they shall prophesy, we are prophesying. Do you see what he says? So Peter reads the prophecy, and interprets the prophecy and says, I'm trying to explain to you that what is happening now was prophesied by Joel. This is the reference. We spoke about referencing in the Cook Conference. This is the reference and this is the interpretation. Remember I told you that when they give the reference, they have to still interpret it. Or else you won't understand it. So he gives the reference, then he interprets it in one sentence and says, and they shall prophesy. So what they were doing in Acts chapter 2, by Peter's interpretation, is that they were prophesying and so that's what the people were hearing. Do you understand? And now when you look at it that way, Peter explains it already. And when you look at it from the explanation of Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, you see that in speaking in tongues, the speaker doesn't understand. His mind is unfruitful. Yeah, The listeners too don't understand because he's not talking to them because they cannot understand. Yeah, That's what he says. That you're not speaking unto men for no man understands you. You're speaking mysteries in the spirit. Right, So the listener doesn't understand. But he says, when you prophesy, then the listeners are able to understand. And so when people say that what we do today is not tongues, right, they, that when you speak in tongues, people are meant to understand. It's not true. Because when, what Peter said that he was doing at the time was that they were prophesying. Now, when you read in Acts 19, you realize that it's also... So, you read in Acts chapter 2, Peter said they are prophesying. You read in Acts 19, he said that they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Let's look at it. I shouldn't just quote it, since I'm actually teaching in tongues. Acts chapter 19, I'm trying to rush. Now it came to pass in verse one that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, being having passed through the upper coast of Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he asked, "Have you received the Spirit as you believe?" And they said, "We have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost." And then he said unto them, "Unto what were you baptized?" And they said, "Unto John's baptism." Then Paul begins to teach. He says, "John verily baptized." baptismal to and saying they should believe the one who is to come, which is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul laid his hands on them, they spoke with tongues and did words. They spoke with tongues and did words. So they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. So this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. two. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now if you came to meet them and you saw what they were doing, Paul would have told you at this point, now they are prophesying. If you came earlier, You'd have heard they were speaking in tongues. Same thing. When the believers come together and they are speaking in tongues, if he that is unlearned land or an unbeliever comes in, if he comes when they are speaking in tongues, he will just think for well, are mad. But when he comes when they are prophesying, then he will hard to be able to understand or his mind will be able to understand what you just seen. Clear so far? Alright. Um, let's go back to Acts 1 Corinthians 14. Let me explain a few things. So that we can pray. Now, look at verse 14. Uh, Let me read verse 17. He says, For thou verily giveth thanks well, but the the other is not edified. The other is not edified. The other is not edified. So they are able to give things as you ought to if you give things in the spirit, but the other person would not know what you're saying. Verse 14. For I'm not my spirit but my understanding is on fruitful. I'm just establishing all the things you've said before. Verse 12. Even so ye. For as much as ye are zealous for spiritual gift, seek that you excel for the edifying of the church, meaning you should be able to um, prophesy. Final thing I'll talk about. Does the spirit take control of your speaking, or do you control your speaking? So I said I'll speak about um, the listener, the speaker, and we said that both of them would not understand. Except the speaker opens his mind up, you know, to receive from his spirits. right? And then the listener is able to, is able to prophesy and then the listener will be blessed. Now, we said, um does the spirit take control? So who does the speaking? Does the spirit take control of you or do you have control? Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 27. I want us to read together. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 14, 27. And 28. Are you there? Alright, read, one to go. If any man speak in an unknown tongue. 28. But if there be an interpreter, be no interpreter? Thank you. So what we see here is this. Paul is giving instruction to the speaker. That if there's no interpreter, he should keep quiet. Meaning, he can choose to keep quiet. He can even check to see if there's an interpreter, and then if there's an interpreter, he will speak. If there's no interpreter, he keeps quiet. He speaks to himself and to God. Meaning the speaker has control. The speaker is the speaker, literally. What the spirit does is give him the words, not speak through him. That's what Acts of the 2 said. They began to speak. Ask the Spirit give them utterance, the right words. to so do you understand? And then even if there's an interpreter, he says, if anyone speaks in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or by three. At most. And that's by cause and let one interpret. You understand? It means that he even says, no, not everybody, okay, just two or three people come out, do it, and then that's it. Meaning, someone can want to, but once he sees another person is already in front, and they are already complete, he goes back. So it's not that the, the spirit takes control, and the person doesn't know what he's doing again. No, he can choose to, okay, then he goes back. Meaning that the speaker is the one in control, right? Verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come one that believeth not. So, then Okay, I think we've read this. We've read this already. Okay. Now also, like we said, uh, with summary leaves, I'll speak to my people, is Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. Okay, so I think we've answered every other thing. Do we have any questions? But give him the mic so that he can talk quickly. Where's the
0: mic? I, I have two questions. All
1: right, go ahead quickly. The first question was:
0: Is um, it's not even about me because I understand what you're saying? But then I want to know how to tell somebody because um, there was a time I read I read the book written by Ken and then he said that sometimes, sometimes there the way he said it, but he, as if he was trying he to say that, 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 that the Holy Spirit the only can only make somebody that, speak that, another language that, that he doesn't that, know, that. and another person will be hear it, because he gave numerous testimonies in different countries that he has traveled to, and somebody was speaking, somebody just stood up and spoke Latin, and there was, this, there was somebody in the service that didn't hear anything, and was hearing another person speak his language and after the person was like you spoke my language and the person was like I didn't even know what I was saying. So I want to just know I just I want to clarify that one. And the second question is um the aspect of connecting the thoughts between the um, like how to get somebody to the, the process of interpreting tongues actually. Like the person trying to get converting the tongues to words. Because I've been... I've explained it the way you said it, but then... I feel the person just wants something supernatural to happen. And then we
1: can't help him. (laughs) We can't help him. So, um, let me start with the first question. Um, Can someone speak in a language they do not understand? Now, first of all, that's... You're asking, can God make me speak a language I don't understand? I think he can. That's Yes, So. Will it be a a every language is someone's native language, isn't it? That means it's not tongues. That's what I'm trying to say. Because look at it again. First Corinthians 142. For he that speaks in unknown tongues speaketh not unto men. So when they say that you're speaking, you spoke to me, that's not tongues. The reason why he says speaketh unto men, he says, says, but unto God, he says, For no man understandeth him. So if you understand me, I'm not speaking in tongues. I might think I'm speaking in tongues, Johnson. Just like, um, too many ideas, But I might think I'm speaking in tongues, but I'm not speaking in tongues. Jugate, yes. But is there a possibility? Yes, it is indeed a possibility, Johnson. That might even explain some of the things that happened in Acts chapter two, with Jonathan. So it might be but that's a miracle, Jonathan. So it's just the way that many of the gifts of the spirit function together. Someone might think it's prophesying, but it's doing word of knowledge, prophecy, all of them, join You might say you want to heal the sick, but it's good descending of spirits, casting out of devils, demons, and a number of things. So it can be intertwined. So it could be that they were prophesying and there was a miracle by which they were speaking to someone else's language. The second one is trying to explain for um, interpretation of tongues. Now, um, interpretation of tongues is different from translation in that. Um, um, it's true, I was even talking to someone about this thing. Translation is what you have with the Bible. Interpretation is different. Johnson, interpretation is different. What Peter did was interpretation, not translation. He didn't say. He didn't say. Joel said it in this in the in Aramaic. And this is it in Greek. No, that's not what he said. He read everything and said, they are prophesying. That's literally what he did. That's interpretation. And that's different from translation. Translation is, uh, this word this is what it means. This one this is what it means. That's translating. Do you understand? So, you don't translate tongues, you interpret tongues. Alright, what it means is that you can speak a hundred things in tongues and the <laughs> interpretation is as well. Just go to your house. <laughs> you know, so that's it. Um, for the person, the person has to accept biblical worldview about tongues. Men will have their ideas and want it to be the way. For example, people think that the spirit to speak through you, you'll be there, you'll just be there forever. He's not going to speak through. So when you are taught what the Bible says, you have to accept it and try to flow with it. If anyone tries to accept it and flow with it, they wouldn't have it tongues very simply. I probably should even take a time, to, one of part of this for this series to teach. Baptism of the Holy Ghost and interpretation of tongues just in one series, one um sermon. If if I'm gonna have the time, or I'll split it so that we can explain it better. Is that okay? I've taken two questions. Please rise up on your feet. Any other questions, send me a DM. We're gonna pray right now.